now and then. You doing okay? All right, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8 to 13. For those that don't know me, my name's Craig, and I'm part of the team here too. And, uh, and um, I'll get through this quickly so we can get out and enjoy all the amazing food out there, right? 2 Kings 4, 8 to 13 says this, One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there. I, I, I think the Bible is kind of crack up sometimes. It's like, why... What does that have to do with anything? Well to do. I just think it's weird. Don't you think some things in the Bible are just weird? Like, I think there's another one in the, in the, where, where the storm comes and the, it says that the disciples were, were it virtually says the disciples were scared afraid. And it's kind of like, aren't they the same things? Like, there's afraid and then there's scared and then there's scared afraid and this woman is a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up into his room and lay down there. And he said to his servant Gehazi, Call the Shunammite. That's what she was. She was a Shunammite woman. So he called her and she stood before him. And Elisha said to him, Tell her, You have gone to all this trouble for us. Now, what can be done for you? You see, we can look at this story and we, we kind of think, Oh, this is nice hospitality by this well to do Shunammite woman, right? It's great hospitality that she's uh, giving here to Elisha as he comes through. But one thing you have to understand is all the way through the Bible, there are things called types and shadows, right? And so a lot of things in the Bible look at, mean one thing, but they mean something else completely. For example, the dove, remember it says that when Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism, uh, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. A dove is, is like a type of the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. There's no doves that fly around out there are not the Holy Spirit. It's just a type and a shadow. So all the way through um, the Old Testament, when it mentions Zion, Zion is, is like, it's a symbol of the church, of you and I. And so all the way through, there's all these types and shadows, like the number seven is the number of perfection. Number three represents the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, eight is, a, is new beginnings, because the world was created in seven days, and then it began. And so all these things mean different things. And so when you come to reading Anything in the Old Testament where a prophet is involved, like Elisha, the prophet actually in that time resents the power and the presence of God. You have to understand that they didn't have a Bible back then. So when they needed a word from the Lord, they didn't go and find their Bible and open up a scripture and go, they actually called the prophet. The prophet was the one who brought the word of God. And the reason why you could trust the prophet in the Old Testament is because in the Old Testament, if the prophet got it wrong, God would kill them because they spoke on God's behalf. It was the word of the Lord. And so if the prophet got it wrong, he killed them. That's why today, aren't you glad that we now live in a new covenant? And if you have a prophetic gift on your life, there's grace for you. And God doesn't kill you if you get it wrong. And all the prophets said, yes, amen. But the story is not so much a story about hospitality it's a story that speaks of the progression 
of the presence of God or the power of God in a person's life. That it starts somewhere and it goes somewhere. You see, in those days, as I already said, that the presence and the power of God was released through the prophets and the priests. So whenever the prophet came to town, miracles happened. Whenever the prophet came to town, he brought with them the power of God and the presence of God. And it was like, for them, it was like God was in town. God was in that place. God was in town because of the presence and the power and the miracles that happened there. And the prophets were the the carriers of the presence and the power of God, just like the church now is meant to be the carriers of the power and the presence of God. We are all meant to be carriers of the power and the presence of God everywhere we go because Christ is the hope of glory in us. And so just like in the Old Testament, everywhere the prophet went, the power and the presence of God went, in the New Testament, in our time, everywhere that we go, the power and the presence of God goes. And this well-to-do lady watched day after day as the presence and the power of God, Elisha, walked past her house to go to somebody else's house. I don't know if this has ever been your experience. It's certainly been my experience where I'm crying out for God to do something in my life, and it seems like I'm sitting there as I watch the power and the presence of God walk past my life to do something in somebody else's life. Are you with me? It's like you're praying for God to do something, and it seems like everybody else around you God is doing something, but God's not doing anything for you. It's like the power and the presence of God is just walking past your life, and it's visiting Saskia instead, and you're like, this isn't fair. I can remember when Trinity was really sick, and we were praying and believing for God to bring healing, and this this lady gets up in our church that had barely known Christ for about two or three weeks, gets up and testifies how she'd just been to the doctor, and, and they told her that the cancer that she had a week before, they did a scan and the cancer was gone and now she's completely cancer free and the church erupted and there's this big praise because God healed someone and I'm like, hello! <laughs> and it feels like sometimes, isn't it, that the, that the power and the presence of God walks past your life and it visits everybody else's life but it doesn't seem to stay in your life and she observed this presence, this power walk past her house And she decided she didn't want to be an observer any longer. She decided she didn't want to observe the presence of God, but she actually wanted to entertain the presence of God, and so she makes a meal for him. And and, and it seems to me, reading of the Scripture, that he comes for a meal, and and he comes for quite a few meals. And, And so she's moved from somebody who observes the power and the presence of God to somebody now who is entertaining the presence of God, but she decided after a period of time that entertaining the presence of God is way better than observing the presence of God, but it's nowhere as good as having it resident in your home. And so she decided she didn't want to be somebody that just entertained the presence of God, but she decided she wanted to be somebody who had the presence take up residence in her house and lived within her house, and so she builds a room on the roof for him. It's a picture of our walk with God that we start off by observing God, that most of you, when you came to Christ, started to observe God moving in somebody else's life and it got your attention and 
and hopefully that person sooner or later invited you to come to church and maybe you started the journey where you were just observing God, but in, then you gave your life to him and things started to change and now you're entertaining him and we start to turn up to church on Sundays and we start to entertain the presence of God, but I, I believe that God wants to take us on a journey that we go from observing to entertaining to now he takes up residence in our lives. How, how do you know if you are entertaining the presence of God rather than having it reside in your life? Let me just give you four ouch statements. You know you're entertaining the presence of God when you treat the spiritual part of your life like a department. Oh, that's what we do on Sundays. So I just, that's Sunday department. I don't really do it Monday through to Saturday. It's just what we do on Sundays. We treat the spiritual lives as a spiritual part of our life as a department rather than actually the core of our lives. Or when you're looking for your Bible in the week and you find it in the back seat of your car where you left it on Sunday. Or the only time you ever worship is on Sunday at church. Or the only time you ever pray is in church. You know you're entertaining the presence of God when you're doing those things where it's just not central to your world. It's there. It's better than observing. It's better than just watching it walk past, but it's not having it reside. You know, we're entertaining him, but we're not giving him the full run of our house. It's way better than observing, but it's not residing. Are you hearing me? Entertaining, though, is not satisfying, as we see in this woman's life. It's like having Elisha for a meal, just, it just wasn't enough. It worked for a season, but it just wasn't enough. And she came to the point where she wanted to make a room for him to stay. She didn't want him to come and go anymore. She wanted him to take up residence. And, and the Bible says that she urged him to stay for a meal. In the, in the Hebrew, it, it literally means this. It literally means that to make a place of his destination. That she didn't just have him over for a meal, but she wanted to make her place as the place of his destination, where he can stay whenever he comes through town, he can stay. You see, what she wanted is she wanted to be God's destination, not his detour. I want, God, I want my life to be God's destination, not his detour. I don't want my life to be something that God just pops into every now and then. I want it to be the place that he resides in. And, and we have to learn to build or to make room in our lives for the miraculous, to make room in our lives for the power and the presence of God. We have to learn that if we're going to have God reside in us, there's some things that we have to do to make sure that as we walk through life, we have the power and the presence of God walking with us. And that means that as we go, we take the miraculous with us. And so we have to learn that we want to be God's destination, not a, not a detour of God. And so she, she makes room. So how, how do you make room? Room for God. Well, the first thing she does is she builds a room, right? We saw that in the scripture that she builds a room. And, and in the Middle East, what they do is they, is that if they want to add more to their house, they just build another level up. They just build another level and another level and another level. What we tend to do in, in our Western culture, right, is, is that we wouldn't build a room on top of a house for our elderly parents to live, we'd build a granny flat 
so they can have their own entrance and they can come and go as they please and they kind of got their own life and they're not living in our house, but they're close enough that we can look after them. I think sometimes when it comes to our spiritual walk, we're great granny flat builders. We build an annex for God to live in in our lives. He can come and go as much as he, we don't want to be a bother to him. We don't build on top of our lives a room for him because if we build a room on top of our lives for him, then it gives him full access to every area of our life to get to, he has to actually go through the house to get to his room. He has to go through the lounge and through the kitchen and through the dining room. He actually has to have full access to the house to get to his room. We can't afford to be people that host his presence in a granny flat. We need to be people that build something on top of our lives so that he has full access to our lives and we build on top of that a place for him. When you give him the top floor, it gives him access to the whole house. And, and here's the thing about God is God will only do what you invite him to do. God will stay for a meal if you ask him to come for a meal. He will live in a room if you ask him to come and live in the room. He will not impose on you. He will not demand from you. He waits for the invitation. And, and I just wonder today if, if we're really honest with ourselves, maybe some of us have built a granny flat for the presence of God. It's attached to our lives, but it's not really full access to our lives. The next thing she does is she furnishes it. She puts stuff in his room. She puts like a table and a chair and a, and a bed and a lamp and the table and the chair and the lamp speaks of activity because it speaks of him being able to sit down at that desk and write and pray and spend time doing whatever Elisha did. But the bed, the bed says that, that that's your room, right? The bed says that's your room. When, when you stay with someone, like if, if I go to visit my mum, she doesn't say to me, hey, there's your table and your chair and your lamp. No, no, she goes, that's your room that you're staying in. Why? Because there's a, there's a bed in the room. And so the bed makes it my room. The table and the chair and the lamp, that could be in the lounge. It doesn't have to be in the room, but a room's not really a room if it doesn't have a bed in it, right? I mean, could you imagine if, if one of my kids, none of them have done this, but imagine if they decided that they're going to go and study at Otago University and and as um, they're hopping on the plane or we're saying goodbyes and because they're about to go off and live in, in Dunedin and, and, and I say to her, I say to Madison, Maddie, there'll always be a table and a chair at our house for you. You don't say that, do you? There'll always be a table and a chair and a lamp at our house for you. No, no, what do we say? There'll always be a bed in our home for you. Why? Because a bed symbolizes that you live there that you reside there. And the moment, listen to this, the moment the room is built, the moment that the room is furnished, the man of God, Elisha, the power and the presence of God made the house his destination to come and stay. Prior to the room being built, prior to it being furnished, he passed by her house now he's coming and staying at her house. 
And I want you to catch this in your spirit because if you get nothing else this morning, well, actually, there's two things I want you to get this morning, but this is one of them, is that as soon as his room is built and his room is furnished, the Bible says that he goes up to his room, he lays down on the bed, and he starts thinking about what he can do for this woman. When we make room for God, where he has full access to our lives, and we allow him to reside in our lives, he lies down in the place that we make for him, and he starts to think about what he can do for you. Goes on in verse 13 of chapter 4, and it says, Elisha said to him, tell her, you've gone to all of this trouble for us. Now, what can be done for you? Can we speak on behalf of the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her? Elijah asked Gehazi. I, I, I love that. He ignores her and goes, just talks to his servant. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she, she stood in the doorway and he said, about this time next year, Elisha said, you will have a son in your arms. And she says, no, my Lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. He says to her, is there, is there anything that you need authorized? Like, have you got any problems? Have you got any fights that you're dealing with recently? Have you got any difficulties that are going on right now that we could speak to the king or the commander of the armies on your behalf? He's, he sits down and he starts thinking straight away about how can he push back against the enemy in her life? How can he break down the walls that have been built around her? Is there anything that we can do? Can we speak on behalf? I want to tell you, when we build space in our lives, when we build a room for him to reside, when we decide that the power and the presence of God are actually going to reside in our lives, God starts to work on our behalf, pushing back the powers of darkness, pushing back the enemy. He, he's speaking to the commander of the armies of God on your behalf. He's authorizing protection. He's authorizing breakthrough. He's also authorizing advancement for the kingdom of God in your life. She asks him to come and live at her house, and he says, is there anything you need from the king? An authority. Let me help you with your battles. And when we make our lives a place where God can live, that's his response. Let me help you with your battles. The righteous run into the tower and are saved. We don't run from God's presence in our darkest times. We run to his presence in our darkest time because that's where we are saved. And he fights on our behalf. And Elisha turns to his because she basically says, hey, look, my family takes care of me. I'm fine. I, I don't need anything. I'm absolutely fine. And, and Elisha turns to the servant, completely ignores her, and says, what, what does she need? And he says, she has no son. You see, she thinks she doesn't really need anything, but she actually has an unfulfilled dream. 
I guarantee you there are people in this room who have an unfulfilled dream, a dream that you felt like you had maybe at a young age or a dream that you felt like God gave you and it's unfulfilled and you don't understand why it's unfulfilled. And, and she says to him, no, no, don't. She knew what he was about to say. Just like, don't. Don't get my hopes up. Don't promise me a kid. I can only assume that this well-to-do Shunammite woman had gone through a whole lot of trauma and pain and suffering because she didn't have any kids, that maybe she went through this whole entire traumatic experience of trying to have children and being unable to have children, and, and maybe she had miscarriages, or maybe it came close, but then it didn't happen, and, and maybe she carried for a period of time, but then the baby died in a womb. I don't know what, because the Bible doesn't say, but it does say that she's like, don't get my hopes up, which means that she has had her hopes up before about having a child, and she's saying, no, no, don't say that, don't speak that over my life, don't speak that unfulfilled dream over my life, because I've been there before, and it's broken my heart, and I don't want my heart to be broken again. I don't want any more pain, please, don't do this to me. But when she made her house his house, he reaches through everything into her dreams and disappointments and gave her the very desires of her heart. He goes on in verse 18 and it says that the child grew and one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told the servant, carry him to his mother. You would think that dad's doing a great job here right now, right? Like the fact that he had to be carried means it's a little bit more than I have a headache. But dad gets the servant to do it rather than doing it himself. Good work, dad. The servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother and the boy sat on her lap until noon and then he died. Don't get my hopes up. Don't promise me this. I've had so many disappointments. Don't do this to me. And the very thing she dreaded has now just happened. I built a room for you. I gave you access to my life and you've broken my heart again. I asked you not to do this and you did. You see, housing the presence of God in our life causes all our dreams and desires to come to pass, but it does not make us immune to life's tragedies. I know lots of people that have walked away from God because God didn't do what, he sh what I think he should have done. They think because they're following Jesus, it means their whole entire life is gonna go smoothly and well. God never promises that. Whoever told you that lied to you. In fact, the Bible even talks about this, that when the, when the wind and the waves come, the one that built his house on the rock, it stood the one who built his house on the sand, it fell over. He's telling you there will be wind and waves that come. In this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God is not promising you a life free from tragedy. Sometimes life sucks. And sometimes really bad things happen to really, really good people. And having God completely in your life, bad and, and bad things still happen? You have to ask yourself this question. 
having God fully in my life and bad things are still gonna happen, then what's the point? Why would I bother? What difference does it make letting my whole, life, my whole entire life be available to God if tragedies are still gonna happen? Why would I bother doing that? Story goes on in verse 21 and it says she went up and she laid him, her son who's now dead, on the bed of the man of God. Then shut the door and went out and she called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Husband doing an awesome job once again says, why go to him today? He asked, it's not the new moon or the Sabbath. This guy is clueless, isn't he? Right, read the room, pal. It's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to his servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When, she saw, when he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? It, it, and she said, it is well. <laughs> How does a woman that just lost the gift that was given to her that was always the desire of her life, she's just had the child die, how, how, how does she respond with, it is well? Like, I don't know about you, but if it was me, I wouldn't be saying it is well. I'd be saying, Oi, I told you not to do this. Look what it's, I would be distraught. I would be in tears. I would be in heartache. And she says, it is well. Let me give you the second key that I want you to understand this morning. The reason why she could say it is well is because she had somewhere to lay down her burden she had built a room in her life for the power and the presence of God, so she had somewhere to lay down her problem. She had somewhere to lay down the death that had just occurred. She had somewhere to lay down the broken relationship or the doctor's report. She had, some, she had created a place where she could lay it down. You see, the presence of God in your life does not mean that bad things will not happen. It does, doesn't mean that there won't be mysteries or tragedies or things that you can't explain. It doesn't mean that there will always be answers. But it does mean this. It does mean that you will always have somewhere to put the unanswered prayers and the unanswered questions and the mysteries and the misunderstandings. You'll always have somewhere to put your mistakes. You'll always have somewhere to put your pain. You'll always have somewhere to put your grief and your questions. And she closes the door and she goes on a journey because she's going to the man of God because she wants to find where God is in the middle of this. Where is this power and presence of, God, presence of God in the midst of this tragedy? And when you make your life a place he lives, he never wanders far from his home because he lives there. 
She didn't walk up to her room and put the child on her bed. She didn't go to his room and put the child on the child's bed. She didn't carry him around saying, I don't know why this has happened. This shouldn't have happened. He never should have promised me this. He never should have done that. He didn't walk around carrying the child saying, I don't understand it. No, no, what she did is she took the child and she put it down on the bed of the man of God and then went to find God in the midst of all of this. You see, if you don't build a room in your life for the power and the presence of God, you have nowhere to lay down your grief and your pain and your unanswered questions. While you go on a journey to try and find God in the midst of all of this, and the story continues in verse 27, and it says, when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. And then she says, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, doesn't even respond to her. You ever felt like that when you have this moment with God? Didn't I tell, I, and he doesn't, it's like silence. He turns to Gehazi and he says to him, tuck up your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet them. And if anyone greets you, do not answer, lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. In other words, I'm not gonna let go of the power and the presence of God. I'm not gonna let go of this relationship. Even though I don't understand what has gone on here right now, and even though you gave me something I asked you never to give me, and my heart is broken again, and I warned you that this is gonna happen, I am not leaving your side. So she got up. He got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. How would you feel in that moment here? He's given him an instruction, go and lay the staff on him, and then he comes out and goes, that didn't work. Then Elisha reached the house. There was the boy lying dead on his couch or his bed. He went in and he shut the door on the two of them. He shut Gehazi out. He shut the Shunammite woman out on the two of them and he prayed to the Lord and then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. If you did that today, you'd probably be arrested. Why mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands? Because God always wants to restore the promises that have been said about you. He always wants to restore the vision that he's given you of your life. And he always wants to restore the things that you have done for him. He gets up and he prays. He stretched himself out upon him and the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then he got on the bed and stretched out upon him once more. And then the boy sneezed seven times. Seven is the number of perfection. 
and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite, and he did. And when she came, he said, take your son. She came and fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. You see, he went into the room and he found a child on his bed and he shut the door behind him and he prayed and laid on the child and he walked up and down and he prayed and he laid on the child and he walked up and down. And where's the mum when all of this is going on? Outside the door? On the other side of the door? All she can hear is... And then silence. And then, I don't know about you, but I'd have, I'd get the glass and I'd have it up against the door. I'd ring around and see if somebody has one of them cameras that you can shove under the door. I want to see what's going on. I want to see what he's doing. I want to see what's happening. And she's just on the other side of the door and all she can hear is walking silence. Walking Elisha, she's got no idea what's going on. She's just on the other side of the door, just having to trust that God is doing something to bring this child back to life. You know, when you've got stuff that you have gone through that doesn't make sense, when you have a place to lay it down in the presence of God in your life, you then have to trust him that you're going to be on the other side of the door and you're not necessarily going to be able to see what he's doing or why he's doing what he's doing. And so you have a place to lay it down, but then you have to trust that that place that you've built, the relationship that you've built with God, the, the residence that he's taking up in your life can be trusted. Can you imagine what happened in her heart when she heard the child sneeze? Can you imagine the excitement that happens as she hears the child sneeze and the door opens and the child is given back to the mother. And friend, this is the difference that the presence of God makes in your life because it enables you to find God in your situations. I can't answer all of your questions. I don't know why some people get healed and other people don't. I don't understand why my brother got taken from me 11 years ago. I don't understand a lot of things. I don't understand why some people die and some people don't. I can't answer all of your questions and I'm not gonna try and, and, and minimize and make seem small your questions because I have questions that God has never answered and I can't answer all of your questions around this. But I do know this, that people that have their lives 100% devoted, fully devoted to carrying the presence of God that have completely given their lives to God, there is a peace that surpasses all understanding that guards your heart and guards your mind. And there's also a resurrection that comes because for some people, these things end their lives. It might be a loss of a business. It might be a loss of a home. It might be a bankruptcy or a redundancy or a sickness or a diagnosis. Or you may have even tragically lost a loved one or a broken relationship. And so you, you've probably got this question, can I get it all back? Yes, you can. But not always. Sometimes that happens, but not always. 
Sometimes it's, it doesn't happen. You lost the business and you think that God can't prosper you again, but I, I want to tell you that God can prosper you again. God can restore relationships. God can rebuild your life because you can go into that place that you've built for him and you can go on a journey and find God in the midst of that and experience his resurrection power just like this woman did. I can just get Jake on the keys. You know, there's a, there's a story in the Bible. Remember when there's a storm that's going on and the disciples are freaking out. There's a professional fisherman. They're freaking out because the water's coming over the edge of the boat. They think they're going to, to die and, and it says that Jesus is sleeping with his head on the pillow in the middle of a major storm that professional sailors think they're going to die in. So it wasn't like you know, a bit of sea roll. It's full on like, <gasps> we're going to die moment, right? And Jesus is asleep. And the disciples wake him. Not how your child wakes you and freaks you out in the middle of the night. You know where they come up and go, Dad, Dad. And then you open your eyes and they're like right there in front of you. For, oh! you know, is it any parent... Yep. They're in there and they, they wake him and they say, don't you care about us? Maybe you're going through a situation right now, it feels like a storm in your life and you feel like Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of the boat and you're like, don't you care about us? I've given you my life, I've done all of this, I'm going to church, I'm, I'm giving, I'm serving, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm, in a, I'm doing all the things that you tell me to do, don't you care about us? And I saw, that this, I saw something this week that I've never seen before. He looks at his disciples and he goes, peace, comma, be still. <laughs> I want you to catch this. He looks at his disciples who are freaking out and he says, peace. And then he turns to the storm and he says, be still. He commanded peace before he fixed the situation. He commanded peace in the heart of anxiety before he addressed the storm in the life. And I feel like God is saying to some people this morning as he's saying, peace, peace. Some of you need to lay down the unanswered prayers, the unanswered questions, the disappointments, the unfulfilled dreams. You need to build a room in your life that hosts and that the power and the presence of God resides so that you have somewhere to lay down the mysteries, somewhere to lay down the pain, somewhere to lay down the grief, somewhere to lay down the disappointments so that he can speak to you peace before he speaks to the storm. That you have somewhere to lay it down. Here's the thing, if you don't know Christ, you don't have anywhere to lay it down. 
If you've never given your life to Christ, you don't have anywhere that you can lay it down. Because until he's Lord of your life, there's nowhere for you to bring it. Or maybe you've been, you've given your life to Christ, but if you're really honest with yourself, you know you're living far from him. Here's the cool thing about God, is he's always close. He's just within a cry of hearts. That's it. He hasn't abandoned you. You might have left him, but he has not left you. The Bible says that he's closer than a brother, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. He's just waiting. The Bible says if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. God is just like, the minute you initiate that you want to get back in right relationship with me, I am there, boots and all. And you're like, man, I, I, I probably distance myself because of unfulfilled dreams, because of unanswered questions, because of unanswered prayer. And, and today you want to get yourself back in right relationship with him or if you've never given your life to Christ, today is the best day of your life because you have an opportunity very shortly to go, you know what? I want him to be the Lord of my life. I want to be somebody that the power and the presence of God resides in. I want him to come and take the sin out of my life and fill me with his power and his presence. So if I can just get every single person in this place, just to close your eyes just for a moment. And I want to ask you a question, and very shortly I'm going to ask you to put up your hand, not right now, but I want to ask you this question. If you've never given your life to Christ, and you're like, man, I, I really want to make that step today. Or if you have been far from him, and you're like, man, I, I just want to come back. I want you to understand something. God is not angry with you. God is not upset with you. God is standing here with open arms saying, come on in, come on in, come on in. He will accept you just the way you are. All you have to do is accept his forgiveness for your sin. And he is here, and he is willing, and he is able, and he wants to save you. And if you're here, and you're like, man, I want to give my life to Christ, or I want to recommit my life to Christ, and you're here, uh, very shortly, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up while no one's looking around. As soon as I see it, I'll ask you to put it down, and that's all we're going to do. We're not going to drag you out of your seats or anything like that. We, we don't do that here. We're not going to embarrass you. We will ask you to fill out the Live Connecting card and drop it in the drop box so that if you want, we can get somebody to walk the journey with you. But that's your choice too. God doesn't force you to follow him and neither will we. So if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ or you want to make a recommitment to him, why don't you put up your hand right now? And when I see it, I ask you to put it down. Is anybody like that here today? Just put your hand up and you can put it down. Thank you, you can put your hand down. Thank you, you can put your hand down. So anybody else here this morning? I'm just going to give you 10 more seconds. Anybody else? Thank you, thank you. Anybody else this morning? All right, why don't we all stand to our feet, every single person in this place. We're going to pray for those that lifted their hands, yes? We're all going to pray together. And I think God wants to do one more thing this morning. Father, we thank you so much for those that lifted their hands and are saying, you know what, God, we want to we give our lives to you. We want to pursue you with everything we've got. So I pray right now, God, as they lifted their hands and even as they pray right now in their seats and they're saying, Father, forgive me for my sin. I thank you, God, that you have already provided that forgiveness when you died on the cross. And so, God, I pray right now that they would receive your forgiveness right now into their lives, that you would cleanse them of all their stuff, that you are faithful to do that. And so, Father, 
Father, I pray right now, just empty them of all the stuff, that, all the sin and the stuff that they've been carrying around. Empty them of that and fill them right now with the power and the presence of God. In Jesus' name, amen. There's one more group of people that I feel like God wants to minister to this morning. And that's those of us that have unanswered questions, disappointments, unfulfilled dreams, where we feel like God has let us down. And you know what? Maybe, maybe, I mean, not saying he has because God doesn't let any of us down, but I know what you mean. I feel let down by God. Just this week, as I started talking to him about where I thought that I would be by 50 years of age, and I'm not where I thought I would be by 50 years of age, and some of the prophetic words that God gave me at 18 and 19 years of age still haven't happened yet, and I'm like, there's disappointment, there's, there's discouragement sometimes, I'm like, but I have to come and lay that down. I, I need to build a place where my unanswered prayers and unanswered questions I can't lay it down in my life because if I lay it down in my life, it'll turn to bitterness and resentment towards God. I have to lay it down in the room that I built for His presence. And maybe you're here today. It's time to lay it down. It's time to lay those things down. So very shortly, we're gonna turn all the house lights off and the team are gonna sing. And I wanna give you the opportunity that if you need to come and lay some things down, there's we call the front of the church here, we call it an altar. It's just a religious terminology, but let's pretend this morning that this is the room that we've built. And God's got his, God's got his bed down here and we can come and lay our stuff down in this room that we've created for him. And if you're not coming out of your seats, then let's, Worship Him, let's praise Him, let's create a room for Him because God inhabits the praises of our people. Come on, if that's you and you need to lay some things down. Come on, as they sing, come on.